1: Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. Hello, Professor Gershon.
2: Good morning, Liz. It's great to be with you this morning.
1: Thank you, and it's fabulous to be with you also and with our guest.
2: Well, I mean, it is such an honor to have Sean Barrett with us. Uh, you know, she was awarded in 2017. Uh, the Lifetime Achievement Award by Mississippi Women Lawyers Association, which is a high honor and well deserved. She uh, served as an assistant U.S. attorney for close to 40 years. And Ms. Barrett, it's just great to have you on. And would you please tell us a little more about your background?
3: Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm a graduate of the University of Mississippi Law School. and <clears throat> During my tenure in the U.S. Attorney's Office, I had an opportunity back in the mid 90s to go to Washington and do a detail with the Department of Justice Civil Rights Division right after the ADA went into effect. <clears throat> and so after my 15 months detail, I came back to Mississippi, and our office was part of a pilot project to decentralize the enforcement of the ADA. So I've done uh, ADA enforcement for quite a number of years. In January of 2018, I retired from the federal government and went to work for a law firm called the ADA Group. They're based out of Montgomery, Alabama. And we represent uh, plaintiffs under Title III of the ADA and some Title II, and we're also getting into uh, enforcement of IDEA for parents with children with disabilities in the public schools.
2: Well, it's so great. This is such an important topic, um, and you know, to talk about the ADA. And you also, you are on the board of the Able Resource Center. Would you, what would you please tell us a little bit about that?
3: Okay, um, <clears throat> Able is an act passed by Congress in 2015. Um, it's called Achieving a Better Life Experience. Uh, you know, DC has to have all these great acronyms. Um, The National Resource Center is part of the National Institute on Disability and they're a non-profit organization and they provide objective resources and information about the federal and state ABLE programs. An ABLE account is similar to a section 529A college savings program and each state has their own ABLE accounts. Mississippi, uh, we rolled ours out in June of 2019. It's an opportunity for people with disabilities and their families to save, regardless of whether or not they receive public assistance. And you can save up to around $100,000. The onset of disability uh, has got to be before the age of 26. But there are many, many costs of disability that are very expensive and families uh, just, you know, can't afford, like a lift equipped van, for example, or other kinds of equipment, uh, the building of a ramp, home modifications. So there are a number of expenses that the account can be used for. In fact, it's very lenient. Um, You can use it to pay the mortgage for household expenses, uh, education and training, just a number of different things. And the account grows tax-free. There are a number of investment options associated with the accounts. Each state is a little bit different. And in Mississippi, fortunately, um, the contributions to the account are tax-deductible. So that's a nice uh, benefit in Mississippi. If a person is working, uh, they can contribute around 25000 a year to the account. If not, if a person is on public assistance, SSI, SSDI, they can contribute I think around 12500 Or a family member or anyone can contribute to the account.
2: And Sean, this is—it's such uh, great. It's so great that you talked to. I know we're going to spend most of the the hour talking about the ADA, but the Able uh, Act was such a fairly new act, and um, and you know we've we've had Rick Courtney on, for example, talking about special needs trust, and special needs trust uh, do similar things to try to keep people uh, so that their their income uh, doesn't uh, take them off of uh, public assistance like uh, Medicaid. But ABLE, I think, opened that up to to a lot more people who who won't need a lawyer to to set up an ABLE account, and I think it's been a a great resource. If I'm disabled and I'm not sure about how to, uh, uh, you know, set up an ABLE account, can the ABLE Resources uh, Center assist me?
3: Yes, there are links on their website to each state's ABLE program. And you really don't have to participate in the program of your own state. Uh, little did I know. I opened my account in June of 2019 when Mississippi rolled ours out. But I could have saved in, let's say, California or New York or another state that had uh, had their accounts uh, enacted earlier. So there's a an independent board that administers the account, and <clears throat> in Mississippi. The Department of Rehabilitation Services is primarily responsible for uh, signing up people for advertising about the accounts. And they've done a lot of great work in trying to get the word out to people that this is available.
1: Well, we have a call waiting, so let's go to Hattiesburg and speak with James. James, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. Do you have a comment or a question about the Americans with Disability Act?
4: Yes, ma'am, I do. Uh, I have recently been awarded SSI, and I'm wondering, uh, I told an employer in the past uh, about my illness, and uh, I don't think it went well. And uh, But I was also a member of an organization called NAMI, whose main goal is to fight the stigma and to overcome it. So I'm wondering, as someone who deals with this every day in the field, is our society actually in a place in 2020 where a person with a mental illness can be honest about it with their employer, or do they still need to be cautious about who knows?
1: Thank you, James. We'll let Sean comment about that while you listen. Well, you know
3: that's that's kind of a two-edged sword because the ADA, if you are an employee and you need accommodations to perform the essential functions of your job, um, the ADA does require that you request accommodations from your employer. So, in that case, they certainly would need to know, but the reality is there's still a stigma attached to many kinds of disability. The, uh, unfortunately, <clears throat> the definition in the ADA and the definition that, say, SSI uses are, are different. So um, I think you have to just look at that on an individual case basis. And there's a lot of misinformation out there about disabilities, especially mental disabilities, as NAMI uh, would deal with.
1: John James we appreciate you calling in and we hope we you can get some assistance on deciding how to handle your particular situation we're going to continue our discussion with attorney Sean Barrett how large is the population of Americans with disabilities I'm going to tell you next you're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio
0: no matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone. Everyday tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app.
1: This is In Legal Terms. Now, not everyone has a chance to listen to our show live. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at MPB. Legalterms.mpbonline.org, but it's also available on the MPB public media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill. I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. Now, the total civilian. Non-institutionalized population with a disability in the United States in 2018 was 40.6 million or 12.6%. West Virginia has the highest percentage of the civilian non-institutionalized population with a disability of 19.1%. Utah is at 9.6%. Mississippi is at 16.5%, and that's according to the Census Bureau. And by the way, if you haven't been counted by the census, you can call them. Everybody needs to make sure they're counted. Their phone number is one 844 330 2020 and you only have until september 30th to be counted for our state this morning we're talking about the americans with disabilities act with attorney sean barrett Uh, sean is a former assistant u.s attorney and now is a private attorney with the ada group
2: and sean that's uh, you know john called uh, before the break and Asked about disabilities, and you mentioned that there are really different different definitions of disabilities. So when you talk about the Americans with Disabilities Act, what what is a disability? What does that mean?
3: The <laughs> act defines a disability as a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits a major life activity. Um, <clears throat> a major life activity can be something like. Uh, Caring for oneself, performing manual tasks, seeing, hearing, eating, sleeping, walking, standing, lifting, bending, uh, any a number of things. Breathing, speaking, learning, concentrating, working. All right, it's a it's a person who um, is limited in major life activity. The second prong of the definition is a person who has a record of such an impairment. This could be a person who. For example, is in remission from cancer. The third prong of the definition is a person who is regarded as having such an impairment. For example, a person may have a facial disfigurement, it may not be a disability, but may be regarded as having a disability because of that outward. Uh, presentation. So that's basically the definition. Um, The only time the ADA has been amended, which was in 2008, the Supreme Court had come down with a line of cases saying that you have to take into consideration what's called mitigating measures. Uh, Medications that a person may be on or assistive devices, and Congress amended the ADA to say no, The only mitigating measure that you can take into consideration is a person who wears eyeglasses. So, you know, there are many effects of medications and devices that should be taken into consideration when defining a person's disability.
1: Sean, thank you for that definition. We have a call. We're going to now go to Jerry in Ashland. Jerry, thanks so much for calling in today. What's your comment or question about the ADA?
4: I just have an onerous question, if you don't mind. I am 80% disabled veteran in Mississippi. When the VA says I need a placard you know, for parking and stuff, I have shrapnel on my knees. I have parts of my body that God didn't give me, and I'm missing parts God gave me. And anecdotally, and I work, I I don't not work. Uh, Anecdotally, I can see there's an awful lot of people on the SSI, on the disability, that look like, from an outside point of view, they're able-bodied citizens. So I'm just curious if this lawyer would kind of speculate how many people in the Mississippi area or... And these United States are actually gaming this system because, you know, you look at them, they can walk around the big blue store buying stuff or they park in the handicapped parking places and they appear to be just fine. And I, from my point of view, I think a lot of people are just gaming the system. What do you have to say to that? I'll I'll listen to you off air.
1: Jerry, we appreciate you calling in. We'll let Sean address. Once again, we are mostly focusing on the Americans with Disabilities Act, not necessarily disabilities under Social Security. Sean, do you have a comment? Well, I
3: think it's certainly possible that people are receiving benefits who may or may not qualify on a particular day but one thing you have to remember is there are a lot of hidden disabilities and there are disabilities where a person feels good one day and is more functional and the next day they may not be able to walk across the floor or across a store so you really can't judge a person's disability by the way they look now it is very frustrating however if you have the disability placard on your car or the tag and you really need the parking space and someone is parked in that space that don't have the tag or the placard and that's a matter of local enforcement the ADA really has nothing to do with that but just because a person quote looks able-bodied doesn't always mean that
2: they do not have a disability. And Sean, I'm so glad you you uh, said the, those things about disabilities that might be hidden. There are people who have things like Crohn's disease or uh, severe uh, autoimmune diseases that can affect them not every day. So you really can't tell, you know, if they're if they're uh, disabled disabled or not. So how does somebody establish a disability?
3: <coughs> well. You know, that depends on the situation. We've talked about the ADA definition. Um, <clears throat> Social Security, of course, has a different definition that's based primarily on work and whether or not you can work and to what degree and... Uh, but It can be done through medical documentation. Um, a lot of times, it can be also done through self-disclosure. Uh, if a person has a disability and discloses that to an agency or an employer or an educational institution, then they can receive uh, the kinds of accommodations that they would need.
2: Okay. So let's say I have a disability and I... And, uh, I establish that I have a disability under the Americans with Disabilities Act. What types of protections would the law provide me?
3: Um, Under Title One of the ADA, that's the employment title. It covers um, employers with fifteen or more employees, and you can't be discriminated against on the basis of disability in the hiring process, in the uh, decision-making process when you're hired, and the employer is also uh, required to provide a reasonable accommodation for the employee. And this is a change in the application or hiring process, change to the job. Um, It could be something like uh, change in the work environment, say if you have a chemical sensitivity to fragrances. um, It could be a change in the job schedule, for example, if someone functions better at a different part of the day. Just a number of things. It could be assistive technology uh, that the person needs to perform the essential functions of the job. Title II protects a person against discrimination on the basis of disability by public entities. This is any state or local government entity. Um, The main part of Title II is that government entities are required to provide what's called program access. This is when you look at the program overall, does it provide access? that does not mean that every government building, for example, has to be accessible. But they may need to move like uh, a meeting room to the first floor if they don't have an elevator. Um, You may have to provide curbside service, for example. Any kind of modification that you can provide to make your overall program accessible. Public entities also have to provide uh, auxiliary aids and services for people who need sign language interpreters, a reader, uh, materials in large print or braille. The auxiliary aids and services provision primarily uh, protects people with visual hearing or cognitive disabilities. You may have to communicate in a different way. Let's say, for example, you can communicate using, using pictures so that a person who may have a cognitive disability can understand the message being portrayed. Um, title three of the ADA is the public accommodations title, and that prohibits discrimination by uh, millions of establishments that are private restaurants hotels theaters convention centers retail stores shopping centers there are twelve different categories of entities that are listed in the statute Um, private schools are covered daycare centers covered health spa bowling alley library Um, all of those private entities as well as commercial facilities have to accommodate people with disabilities. Before the ADA uh, was passed there was section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act which required non-discrimination on the part of disability um, by people by entities receiving federal financial assistance. But now the ADA extends those protections to um, entities that are not receiving federal financial assistance.
1: We have a caller who is called in. We've had James and Jerry so far this morning, and now we've got Joe from Brookhaven. Joe, what's your comment or question about the ADA this morning?
4: Okay, my question is my wife has been disabled since twelve, and uh, I'm Pretty much her primary health care provider. And somebody had told me years ago that I could get benefits from being her primary health care provider, but I never tried to get it. And um, I mean, I'm just here listening, I just want to know.
3: Um, that's really not an ADA issue. If she's receiving some kind of public assistance,
4: but she's receiving like a uh, disability, you know. Yeah, not no food stamps or nothing like that just uh i guess a disability check
3: whatever they call it okay if if she's on medicaid they have a they have a medicaid waiver program that would provide uh, assistance where you could have someone come in uh, several hours a day and provide assistance to her now who qualifies for that assistance i don't know but it's called a medicaid waiver program
1: All right, Joe, we appreciate you calling in.
5: We're talking with Attorney Sean Barrett about the Americans with Disabilities Act.
1: How did the ADA become law? I'm going to tell you next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill. We hope you'll subscribe to our podcast. Lots of different podcasting platforms. I'm kind of stuck on Podcast Addict, but there's Stitcher. Um, lots of different ones for your Android phones. Your iPhone already has one downloaded. If you touch the plus on it, it'll take you to a page to search for podcasts. Type in in legal terms in the search area and then it'll bring up our show and then you can touch the photo of it and you can subscribe to be notified when any new episodes are loaded up. The Americans with Disabilities Act was first introduced by the 100th Congress. President George H.W. Bush signed the ADA into law July 26, 1990, 30 years ago. They just had their 30th celebration. Now, the 117th United States Congress will be the next meeting of the legislative branch of the United States federal government, composed of the United States Senate and the U.S. House of Representatives. It's scheduled to meet in Washington from January 3rd, 2021 to January 3rd, 2023. And if you want to vote for your legislatures on November 3rd, you must be registered to vote by October 5th, so you've got a month to register to vote if you haven't already been registered or change your address. This morning, we're talking about the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act. Now, this is different from disability that you get from Social Security, so we want to try to make sure we keep our phone calls to the ADA with our guest attorney, Sean Barrett.
2: And Sean, you know, the ABA, ADA, uh, you've mentioned Title One deals with employment, and that's important to a lot of people. And does does it apply to every employer?
3: No, it doesn't. It applies to employers though who have more than fifteen employees.
2: And uh, so, what about uh, religious institutions? I mean, do they are they re- required to comply with the ADA?
3: Religious ent- entities controlled by a religious organization such as a place of worship are not covered.
2: And so um, now if, I had, um, if I am covered, uh, can, what types of things must the employer do for me to accommodate my disabilities?
3: <clears throat> the employer is required to make reasonable accommodations for the person with a disability. Um, this could be making your website accessible so that the application can be completed online with a program that people who are blind or visually impaired would use called a screen reading software. It could be a change to the job, uh, how the job is done, it could be a change in the work environment. Uh, to allow a person with a disability to perform the essential functions of the job. It could be a change in a job schedule, for example. <clears throat> um, it could be providing assistive technology for a person to perform the job. It could be making modifications to the workplace so that an employee with a disability, say, for example, who's in a wheelchair, could get into the facility if you need to build a ramp or alter a restroom or provide accessible parking it may, it may be something really simple like raising the desk so that a person who uses a wheelchair can fit up under the desk accommodations are basically not very costly and. The ADA contemplates under Title I an interactive process between the employer and the employee, whereby the employee requests an accommodation and the employer responds to that request.
1: Sean, we're so glad to have you here this morning. We're talking about the Americans with Disabilities Act. We're talking about concessions or accommodations that employers can make for their employees. We're talking about access to buildings. We have a couple of phone calls. Let's go to Terry, who has called in for from Madison. Terry, thanks for calling into legal terms. Do you have a comment or a question about the ADA? Actually, I do. I just wanted to ask. I am
5: uh, legally blind, and I was just wondering, she was talking about the ABLE program earlier. Ms. Sean, thank you for being here. Um, is there a, a packet that can get sent out regarding um, what all is available under the ADA for people with various disabilities? Like I said, mine is, is a visual, but was just wondering what all your rights are within all of this and how to pursue some things, if need be. Um,
3: The Department, and I think I gave Liz this website yesterday, the Department of Justice has a general ADA.gov website that has information Mm -hmm. about, uh, general information about the ADA,
5: Okay.
3: Able accounts are the onset of your disability has to be uh, age 26 or greater. Um, or greater? Or, I mean, lesser, sorry. Okay. The onset, yeah. So there's an, a move in Congress to try to amend that to, I don't know, age 40 or 50. I'm not sure exactly what the numbers are, but. There's a, a, an effort to increase that. Um, there are organizations specifically for people with visual disabilities, like the American Council of the Blind mm-hmm. and the National, the National Federation for the Blind. Those are both organizations, consumer organizations for people with disabilities. And both of those have local chapters here in Mississippi.
1: Okay. I appreciate your information. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Terry, for calling in. And we've gone from Terry to Sherry. Sherry, thank you for calling in to In Legal Terms today. Do you have a comment or a question about the Americans with Disabilities Act?
5: Yes. Um, I work for a state agency, and I've been fighting with them for years of complying with the um, parking for uh, disability. They have a parking lot but it's not complying. Um, They have the parking for the employees in the front of the building and the handicapped parking spaces are like at the very end of the building and it's supposed to be for the closest access to the building. And I've been fighting with them for years and years um, about that. And then they have another building, which is an auditorium, and they have a lot of families that come out there for graduations. And for people who are not familiar, it's not really accessible for them to get close to the auditorium because the parking spaces are, like, all the way at the end of the parking lot, which is not even close to any, any buildings at all. And I have tried to call everybody, so I'm just trying to find out what options do I have of taking it further up to complain. Um, I com- complained to the person over the agency, and she said they didn't have the money, but then they turn around and repainted the same parking, handicapped parking spaces the same color, when they could have easily just changed the, um, the the parking spaces for the handicap to the other end of the parking lot. So I'm just trying to find out who could I call or who could I complain, or, you know, how could I have this address? Because I just really felt bad for those families that come out there and, you know, they don't have any way to park close to the auditorium or to the office building.
1: Thank you, Sherry. We appreciate you calling in with this. Um, Sean, what are some avenues that Sherry could uh, attempt to get this parking situation changed at a state agency?
3: All right, there are two issues here. One, if you are an employee and you need accessible parking for yourself as a reasonable accommodation, then you should go through your agency's administrative processes if they have an EEO officer or and then if that doesn't work, you can go to the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, EEOC, and file a complaint with them and they investigate it. If you're talking about parking for the general public with disabilities, It depends on what kind of agency it is. You can file a complaint with the Department of Justice, and the complaint form is very easy to complete. It's on their website, ADA.gov, and there is a requirement that the accessible spaces be on the shortest accessible route to the entrance of the building.
5: All right.
1: Okay. Thank you very much, Sherry. We appreciate you calling in this morning. We're talking today with Sean Barrett, attorney, about the Americans with Disabilities Act. Now, this is not disability from Social Security, so if you have a question about ADA, we hope you'll contact us. Where can you find out what accommodations employers need to provide employees? I'll tell you next. This is in legal terms on MPB Think Radio.
0: You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker.
1: We are uh, You could Drive-In Theater. We're the last operating drive-in in the state of Mississippi.
0: Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker.
1: Freak me out that you could come and drive your car and park and watch the movie outside.
0: You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app, Mile Marker, a Mississippi Roads podcast.
1: Thank you for being a part of In Legal Terms. Now, if you've missed any of our program, don't forget you can listen to the whole show, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. Up next is our 11 a.m. Tuesday remedy show, relatively speaking, and it's got Dr. Susan Buttress. Accommodations are sometimes referred to as productivity enhancers reasonable accommodations should not be viewed as special treatment and they often benefit all employees we're going to have the department of labor's website on this show's website in addition to the uh, department of justice's website and a few others that have been mentioned on the show now Other guidance for employers is the CDC. They have uh, guidance on COVID-19 procedures. One of them is to wear a mask. And we'll have that website on this show's website also. We're talking with attorney Sean Barrett. She's a former U.S. assistant attorney, now a private attorney with the ADA group. We're talking about the Americans with Disabilities Act. That's different from Disability for Social Security, so we hope you'll keep that in mind. And we do have a call we have had James, Jerry, Joe, Terry, Sherry, and now we've got John. John, thanks so much for calling. In legal terms, go ahead, please.
0: Good morning, and I'd like to first of all say hello to Sean. She and I were were uh, neighbors back in the early nineties. Sean's good to good oh. to hear your voice, John Sullivan. How Thank are you, you doing? Thank you,
3: John. I'm fine. How are you? I hope you and your family are well.
0: We are. I tell you, you know, looking at my life, I've been. Blessing and curse with the uh, unfortunate of the uh, AD, ADD or ADHD, whatever you want to call it. Having said that, I was able to get some accommodation with a graduate program. But, you know, when I, I go to putting out job searches, you know, it, it lists on there if you have a disability. Now, granted, they're not supposed to reflect on that as, a, as some type of, um, well, as a disability, you know, but again, if you get into a situation where you need to, to have additional accommodations, well I just really want to hear from you on that. I'm sure there's a wealth of knowledge out there about how to reflect on these uh, interview or the early application just to get beyond it. Uh, can you change your position, I guess I'm saying, if you are employed or is that hard and fast once you make the application with the designation? And I'll, I'll I'll hang up and listen, but you understand the question. The question. Is, I'm not
3: sure what put, do you, what do you mean by would, change your position.
0: If I if I do not put a disability on my application, and I'm hired for that position, am I able to go to the employer once I have the job and say, look, you know, I do have a disability. I was a little uncomfortable putting it on the application, but is that something that obviously it's not recommended but again in these days of you know scanned applications and applications that may be considered for whatever reason I don't want to say that kicks it out but understandably you know it could create some fear in putting it on there but you know again if you get into a job situation where you need it are you predisposed uh, uh, you know in a, in able to, to ask for it after the fact?
3: I don't think so. There's no provision in Title I about this. Um, But first of all, they should not be asking you on a job application if you have a disability. The question is, can you perform the essential functions of that job with or without accommodations? So they need to clean up their application. Big time.
0: That's on. That would be on like the job search uh, vehicles, like Indeed or Glassdoor. They will put that down as an option. You know, obviously, it's it is an option. But at the end of the day, you know, my question goes back to it: is there a is there a um, a predetermined problem if you don't put it on there, and then you get into a situation where you need it? And obviously, you've just said that's that's not the case that you're fully able to. Present that as an issue after the fact, I
3: assume. I think that's right.
0: Uh, well, that's all. I just really wanted to call in and say it's good to hear your voice, and I'm glad to hear you on the radio, and look forward to maybe running into you sometime.
1: Great, John. Same to you. Great to hear your
3: voice too.
0: Sure. Bye bye.
1: John, we appreciate you coming in. Sean, we do have an email from a listener that just came in. Um, The listener says she's curious if she's able to be considered for either an ABLE, um, the, the ABLE Resource Center information or with the ADA. She is 54 years old, but she had a seizure when she was 20 due to a car accident, and she has... Uh, She's on seizure medication, and her issues are vision, memory loss, and brain fog. And she has a lot of medical bills. She's a member of the Brain Injury Associations of Mississippi. Uh, Would she be curious? She's curious if she'd be able to be considered for ABLE and ADA. And we only have a minute left.
3: Um, Certainly, I would think that she would qualify for an ABLE account. With the onset of disability being before the age of 26, um, now that's a savings account um, that you can put money into and other people can as well, including family members. Um, That's probably a disability under the ADA as well because she has physical or mental condition that affects her major life activities seeing and, and other things so yes
1: all right. We will forward that information to our listener. Whenever we get an email and we're able to answer it on the air, I do reply back to make sure that they were listening and give them the time stamp so that they can go back and listen in case they've missed it. But we also try to forward our emails that we get to... To our experts so that they can answer them if we weren't able to get to them within the time or if they come in afterwards from someone who was listening to the podcast Sean thank you so much for taking your time today to be part of our show Um, thank you my pleasure I enjoyed it very much and uh Professor Gershon couldn't do this show without you
2: I'm so happy to do it with you, Liz, and really appreciate Sean. Uh, This was great. Thank you.
1: Thank you. That's going to wrap us up for today's In Legal Terms. We also couldn't do it without Michelle McAdoo and Jay White. So for Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law, I'm Liz Gill. We hope you'll join us next Tuesday for our show In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
0: THINK RADIO PODCAST